Gamble on, fellas. Gamble on. <laughs> Again to Gamble On, the weekly gambling podcast presented by usbets.com. I'm Eric Raskin, US Bets Managing Editor and Media Director, and I'm joined by our senior analyst, Pulitzer Prize finalist, John Brennan. And John, we're four weeks into the NFL season. I decided to check the standings in the Las Vegas Super Contest, which fortunately for me, I am not a participant in. Uh, and there's an entry under the name ODBMG2 that is currently leading the way with a ridiculous 18-2 and record, a 900 winning percentage, two 5-0 and weeks, and two 4-1 weeks thus far. However, I checked the fine print on the Super Contest website, and it reads, The professional football regular season must consist of at least 10 weeks for the Westgate Las Vegas Super Contest to be considered valid. If the regular season is shortened to less than 10 weeks, the Westgate Las Vegas Super Contest will be canceled and all entry fees will be refunded. John, if you were ODBMG2, how hard would you be lobbying Roger Goodell and the NFL team owners to bubble up right about now? Oh, oh man. Um, I just wonder, was ODBMG1 taken? I wonder about that. <laughs> Could be. Uh, but uh, that aside, uh, if I were him, I'd have flown first class into Nashville on Sunday night. I would then have a safe, safely socially distancing meeting with my local private eyes that I hired to nail down exactly which Titans players and coaches would be placing low jack devices on. Wait, is that still a thing? Low jack? I don't know. Yeah, I'm not sure. Yeah, it's a, I'm, I'm dating myself. At least you didn't uh, go with the club. I think that's even older <laughs> than low jack. Okay, yeah. Uh, anyway, I'm intervening if more than two Titans are gathered in the same place all week, uh, whether I have to pull a fire alarm or uh, wait. Dad was FDNY for almost 40 years, so that's not it. But now, still, I'd find a way to prevent them from uh, getting together. Um, and this would feel like the bad beat of all time if anyone builds a nice lead after nine weeks and then it's ball game over. You know, not that they'd be guaranteed a top prize or anything, but it would be like the Montreal Expos 1994 all over again. Yeah, <laughs> that's a good uh, comparison there. Um, and unfortunately, hiring the private eye to watch the uh, Titans, uh, you'd need another private eye now to yeah. keep an eye on the Patriots and uh, yeah, maybe that's... maybe maybe the Chiefs. Uh, yeah, it's uh, it's it's getting a little scary. You know, we've been over my bubble plan to safely get the league through a season, uh, which the NFL failed to heed. Uh, It's too soon to say if their bullheaded approach will ultimately succeed or will backfire. But yeah, could you imagine being in the driver's seat in a competition where first prize is $435,000 and you end up getting your buy-in back? Uh, I, I don't think we're headed there. I think the NFL will push a few games like MLB did, clamp down, maybe finish the season a couple of weeks late. Um, I'd say it's about a one in a thousand shot that we don't at least get 10 weeks of games in. Um, So I I think ODBMG2 is safe. Uh, But yeah, I'd be a little worried if I were him or her or them or whatever ODBMG2 is. Uh, If I were in the Super Contest with my record through four weeks... uh, Mm. I'd be rooting for COVID outbreaks right now. You know, I know, I know you're not That's, supposed to do yeah, that, but I uh, got to look out for number yeah. one sometimes. 
Well, <laughs> other people are thinking that you just said what they're thinking. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's what we do here. We say what other people are, are, are thinking, uh, yeah. and occasionally even what we're thinking. Uh, thank yeah. you to everyone for joining us for episode number 112 of Gamble On. If you missed any of our previous 111 episodes, they're all available on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. Please subscribe and leave a five-star rating because podcasters need love, too. Yes, and our, coming up a little later on the show, we're going to be joined by our newest U.S. Bets colleague, Rafe Bartholomew, to talk about the state of live and online gambling in Michigan, where he lives and where mobile sports books will soon be launching, we think. Um, plus, we'll get his thoughts as an NBA writer on the Lakers Heat Finals. But first, it's been, a, I would say, a pretty busy week in the world of gambling. So let's get to it. Here's your Gamble On News of the Week, an inside look at the biggest stories in the world of gambling. We start the news segment with a controversial item, and surprise, surprise, Barstool is at the center of the controversy. Last week, gambling industry journalist Jessica Wellman called attention to the Barstool Sportsbook Instagram feed, posting a picture of a toddler. It was Jason Tatum's son in a photo taken during a game in the NBA playoff bubble, holding up a sign reading, Daddy, I need minus 3.5, and the caption read, Do it for the children. The post was deleted, uh, but there are always screen caps. Uh, right around the same time, the Oregon Council on Problem Gambling drew attention to a piece of content from gaming media company The Action Network, a video called Gambling with Children, the title meant as a spoof on Married with Children, and it showed a woman talking about betting sports while hanging in the kitchen with her two kids. Penn Betts' Brian Pempis reached out to the Pennsylvania Gaming Control Board about the Barstool post, and they basically said no comment, but they did direct Brian to language in their regulations about gambling advertising that the featuring of children would appear to violate. Penn National Gaming, the operator that is partnered with Barstool, did provide Brian with a statement. As Eric Shippers said, quote, the Barstool Sportsbook Instagram profile posted an image it erroneously believed was a screenshot of a television broadcast of a Miami Heat Boston Celtics playoff basketball game. This post was quickly discovered by Penn National's self-enforcement process and was promptly deleted. Involving minors in gaming content violates Penn National's responsible gaming policies. Penn National takes responsible gaming seriously and regrets this isolated error in violation of its responsible gaming policies, but are pleased it was swiftly removed, end quote. This didn't snowball into what you'd call a major incident, but one suspects this is the first of many PR fires Penn National will have to put out while working with Barstool. We probably shouldn't get too opinionated about the Action Network since they are in some ways a competitor of ours. But what's your reaction to the Barstool situation, John? Well, you know, as you know, Eric, I'm not necessarily a nanny state person, and I don't want to get the vapors here and pass out on this. But, you know, that, all that said, involving children, you know, even just a photo of them, supposed to be amusing, I guess, or whatever, it, it just crosses the line regarding any adult activity, and mm -hmm. gambling is included there. I mean... I think it will be interesting to see if any of the many states where Penn National operates, or or at least Pennsylvania, where Barstool is a BFF of Penn National already, um, they have regulators who have a zero tolerance policy on this sort of thing, and and if they're going to do anything about it, uh, I think a decent sized fine here by Pennsylvania at least seems appropriate. Kind of a shot across the bow for possible worse offenses ahead, because they know as well as we do that worse offenses may still be ahead. Yeah, that's that's what I would be uh, concerned with. I mean the the Penn National Barstool relationship is so interesting here. You know, Penn National mm -hmm. is the responsible adult parent 
Barstool is the mischievous teenager, and you get the sense Penn National is not done apologizing for Barstool's behavior. Uh, but, you know, they also, they knew who they were getting in bed with, and I truly have no idea whether they actually would want Barstool to behave better or whether they like the minor controversies and want them to continue. You know, the, the whole notion of no press is bad press. This is getting Barstool's name in headlines. As long as they don't go so far as to risk losing their license, you know, starting little fires could be perceived as good. That that might be the attitude at Penn National. I'm not saying it is. It just it might be. Um, but, you know, all that said, this is obvious flagrant offense you shouldn't need anyone to tell you that gambling content involving minors is against the rules uh, I, I come back to one of my favorite george costanza lines when his boss calls him out for having <laughs> sex with the cleaning lady and george says was that wrong should i not have done that gotta plead ignorance on this one had i known that sort of thing was frowned upon yada yada um like george if the person operating Barstool's Instagram tries to play that card here, plead ignorant, yeah, nobody's fallen for it. Uh, and, and on top of that, you know, the bit here wasn't cute or funny. If, if you're going to be edgy and get in trouble, at least make it a good bit worth getting in trouble over. This wasn't that. Yeah, and this is just, uh, I mean, the fact is, I think where we are is that um, Barstool will do everything they can until regulators really come down hard on them. So uh, if... They are tempted just to ignore this one as a one-off. They can, but mm -hmm. then that will only embolden Barstool. So, you know, inevitably, there's going to have to be a pretty serious uh, uh, sanction against Barstool by regulators. And until then, they're going to keep going. So if I'm the regulator, I might as well get started right now and, and, and cut it off at the pass. Yeah, you're, you're right. It's a little bit of a spotlight here on the PGCB to see uh, what they do and uh, whether they at least dole out a slap on the wrist. So so far, just saying no comment. That If that's where it ends, that, that won't uh, discourage Barstool in the least. Not at all. All right. Our next story is a little lighter, uh, but no less high stakes. Uh, DraftKings reported this week taking the biggest sports bet in the operator's history, a $3 million three-team parlay at plus 186 odds that would pay $5.5 million if it wins. The better took the Packers to win the NFC North at minus 360, Georgia to win the SEC East at minus 110, and Alabama to win the SEC West at minus 670. So parlaying three favorites, but one of them is barely a favorite. Uh, our friend and two-time Gamble On guest, Captain Jack Andrews, got a lot of attention for a Twitter thread analyzing the bet. And according to his calculations, the true odds of all three bets winning are 19.93%, meaning fair odds should be plus 402, not the plus 186 the better is getting, meaning the house edge is 43%, and the expected value of the wager is approximately negative $1.3 million. <laughs> uh, as Captain Jack said in response to someone following up on his tweets, winning is hard. Don't make it harder on yourself by playing into higher house edges. Uh, John, I know it doesn't take much arm twisting to get you to speak out against a parlay bet, uh, but how crazy is this one to you, and how frustrated should serious bettors be that a presumably non-sharp better can get $3 million down on a bet like this, while a pro would never get approved for a sharp wager at those stakes. Well, uh, true confession, since you called me out. I actually took the uh, a parlay in the Yankees game last night. Mm -hmm. I took the Rays in the over, so I uh, kind of coasted to that one. Okay. Um, but there's only two teams, and, uh, right. you know, I, I won uh, – 
in the very high single digits on that one. So. <laughs> well done. This <laughs> is pretty good. I, it, I took a shot and it worked out. But no, like I realize this likely is just someone with fu money trying to have some fun. I mean, I gotta think that. Um, but uh, you know, I was glad Captain Jack called out the stupidity of the, of particularly this sort of parlay. Not that uh, parlays don't tend to be uh, bad news for betters anyway, but this one was insane. Um, but for our perhaps vast legion of millionaire subscribers out there, um, if these sports books even ever accept a six-figure bet that you want to take, uh, think about why. Because right. they don't let the pros do it, okay? You know, when I, when I was in my 20s, I had a pal who was always bragging about how his favorite casino was offering so many free room nights. Even at that young age, I had the sense to tell him, dude, you ever think about why they're eager, so eager to get you to visit? I mean, get on the other end of the, the side here. And um, a tangent alert here, but in my earlier 20s, I went on a vacation with a different bro pal of South Florida, um, and he insisted we visit a local gentleman's club of some renown. Um, that's never much my style. Again, empathy and put yourself in the other person's shoes kind of thing. It knocks the romance right out of that. And I don't know why anybody has any romance with a strip club, but at any rate, uh, here we go. And he orders a hamburger, and this is midweek. Uh, mid-afternoon, the place is nearly empty. Uh, basically, the lions outnumber the zebras, is what I'm saying, and, and we're the zebras. Okay. So I told him, look, I didn't notice exactly why you how you ordered it, but if you order it rare, it won't come out for 45 minutes, and if well done, it's going to take over an hour, clearly. you know. So anyway, back to the topic. Uh, look, the books are a business, and so are they. Um, so for every big news story you see on that big uh, you know, parlay win, million dollars, whatever, uh, the books make it all back, and then some on the bets of that level. They're eager to take those bets from suckers. So, you know, at least if you know all this and you can still afford it and you still want to bet anyway, you know, who am I to stop you? But at least know the deal. Yeah. I'm sad to report that I have no ordering food in a strip club stories to uh, to add to uh, to the pile there. But uh, looking at this, you know, the, the real story here, and you basically uh, said the same thing here, is, is the fact that the sports book would only take a record-setting size bet if the customer was making a, a bad bet, uh, at least in the long run, that's that's the real story here. You know, the, the individual bet might win, uh, but the expected value favors the house. And if the bet does win, the house, A, can afford the hit. Uh, B, will get good PR out of a better winning five and a half million dollars. And C, can expect the better to make more bad bets and eventually give some or all of it back. It's basically a win-win, but... It has to be frustrating for sharps who, uh, you know, could find a, a similar parlay and either because of who they are or because the house edge is smaller, would have their bets capped at something like three hundred dollars instead of three million dollars. But you know, that's the way the business works, and and I get where the books are coming from. They're in a risk management business. They're looking to take big bets only when the risk to them is decreased. So while I'm not saying books should reject the business of sharp betters. I'm not taking that side. I get them, you know, limiting it uh, in spots. The the books are running a business. Uh, yeah, well, that's that's a, a tricky thing, isn't it, for state regulators even. Um, uh, and this goes back to card counting and blackjack, too. I mean, you know, for the most part, there's so few people that can actually beat the house that um, – yeah, I'm tempted to say, hey, you know, anything goes. Don't turn any uh, any bets down. But I understand that if they can do it from a business standpoint, they're going to try and keep out people who who uh, who beat them. So uh, it is what it is. Yeah. Uh, again, my my personal stance is uh, don't don't prevent anybody from betting. Period. But uh, but the limiting of the bet size it's uh, unfortunate for the sharp betters. But uh, 
I, I can't totally fault the books for doing that. Um, for our final story this week, we look at a betting operator getting conditional approval in a single state, which is not the sort of thing we'd normally devote even 10 seconds of airtime to, but this is a unique case. Tennessee Action 24-7 has received that approval in Tennessee, and this sports betting platform is basically the equivalent of an independent bookstore going head-to-head with Borders and Barnes & Noble. The Tennessee Education Lottery has granted approval to DraftKings, FanDuel, BetMGM, and Little Tennessee Action 24-7, which is run by a woman from Nashville, Tina Hodges, and they're taking a grassroots approach organizing events at bars, trying to market the old-fashioned way. They're not trying to go national. They're operating in Tennessee and Tennessee only. We haven't seen anyone else in any other state try this, taking the local small business approach to sports betting. John, what do you make of it? Can Tennessee Action 24-7 succeed? And can they possibly compete with the sort of money that DraftKings and FanDuel throw around? Well, this really reminds me, probably over a year ago, I was covering a Washington, D.C. sports betting hearing uh, over the phone, and uh, it must have lasted, I don't know, 10 hours, and just one bloviator after another. It was pretty dreadful. But at one point, there's a local fellow who gives an impassioned presentation along these lines. You know, I'm a local company. Jobs will all go to locals. It's a minority-owned business in a very diverse community. I mean, it all sounded very plausible to me. Why not, you know, uh, give him a, a fair shot? Um, but how can I say this gently? There were other political motives afoot, as we later learned. Uh, and now we have a new lottery game, ineffectively masquerading there as sports betting. <laughs> yep. um, yeah, looking on the bright side, kudos for Tennessee for at least allowing for such a company to get a chance at the big stage. I mean, if they fail, that's the free market talking, and, and so be it. But at least they get a seat at the table. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and I, I asked about, you know, whether they can compete uh, with the big boys. And I would guess that Tennessee Action 24-7's business plan isn't reliant upon them really competing with the big boys. They just need to be profitable on their own smaller scale. And I think they can sit back and let DraftKings and FanDuel and the like spend big money to bring awareness to sports betting in Tennessee and then just hope to capture some runoff dollars from people who will want accounts with several sports books. Um, You know, I I don't know if the grassroots approach, like the personal touch, does that appeal to online sports bettors? I don't know. Seems seems unlikely to me. But at the same time, if a book like this opened up in Pennsylvania, if they have good lines and, uh, you know, in in some cases will be a half point different from the other books uh, on certain games and give me another option on, on some games or markets, then then side me up. You know, a, an additional sports book operating as long as they don't have exactly the same lines and prices as all the others. Uh, you know, I, I think there are customers who will uh, get that app and, and fund the accountants and see what happens. Um, the, the, the whole thing about events at bars right now uh, is a little troubling. Uh, there yeah. were some social media photos included in Jill Dorson's excellent article on <laughs> TNBets.com uh, about this company, and it showed people in a Tennessee bar watching NFL games together last month at a gathering sponsored by Tennessee Action 24-7, no masks. I'm not down with that. Um, I, I would like to see the in-person event-based marketing paused until after COVID. We don't need sports betting fueling super spreader events, I'd say. Yeah, and ironically, uh, we were both in uh, Nashville for for uh, the Super Bowl this year yeah. in February. Seems like a long, long time ago. But, <laughs> it sure uh, does. Also, I wanted to add that you know your intro reminds me of just how adorable Meg Ryan was in the uh, 1990s film You've Got Mail <laughs> movie, Tom Hanks. <laughs> yes, the uh, that that is basically the the plot: small, uh, tiny bookstore versus uh, the big chains. Right? Yeah. <laughs> 
It's time to welcome a special guest from the world of gambling. Let's get to the Gamble On interview. Whenever U.S. Bets hires a new writer, we give them a few weeks, maybe a few months to get acclimated. But before long, we force them against their will to make an appearance on Gamble On. And now it is Rafe Bartholomew's turn in the barrel. Rafe is a longtime friend of mine. He was my editor at the now defunct Grantland.com. He's written three books, including the 2018 New York Times bestseller, Basketball, A Love Story, which he co-authored with Jackie McMullen and Dan Clores. And he is now an analyst for our family of websites, primarily writing for MIBets.com, focusing on the state Rafe lives in, Michigan. So we bring him on now to talk about the gambling industry in Michigan and more. Rafe, welcome to Gamble On. Uh, in the words of another gambling world uh, celebrity, uh, gamble on, fellas, gamble on. <laughs> there you go. You're, try, you're, you're trying to uh, capture the, the bite and get your own sound clip out of this, but uh, I, don't, I don't know that you can uh, compete with, uh, with Phil Hellmuth, but we appreciate the effort. That's what I'm here for. <laughs> so we brought you aboard at a tough time for on-the-ground reporting, uh, but you have been to several casinos in Michigan are you seeing a big difference in the safety precautions, the number of patrons, or the vibe between the Detroit casinos that opened later and the tribal casinos that didn't have to wait for the governor's go-ahead? And, and also, what, what do you make of the criticism of Governor Whitmer's handling of reopening casinos? Right. So I will be perfectly honest with, with you guys and our audience that when I took the job probably the thing that scared me most. And there was a, a few things also just kind of diving into a new subject matter at first for me, you know, learning a new beat, all, all the sort of standard professional things. But really, one thing that was on my mind was having to go visit casinos uh, during the middle of a pandemic, which I know that, that both of you have done. And, and most of our staff has done and it's a normal thing. But at the time, it sounded pretty uh, risky to me. And I across the board in Michigan, I have been pleased and it gives me confidence to, to see that whether it's been the tribal casinos that I visited, the first one I've been to was Fire Keepers right outside of Battle Creek, Michigan, whether or the ones in Detroit that opened a few months later at the beginning of August. The safety precautions have been almost uniform, you know, good temperature checks, good mask enforcement across the board. And it made me feel a lot safer inside casinos than I expected to. And it, it, to the point where I haven't really thought twice about going back. Now, I, I should couch that and say I haven't, I've, I have not targeted the most high traffic times at casinos. I haven't gone late at night on Fridays and when the, the riskiest uh, individuals out there may have showed up. But you know, every time I've visited at different times of day, it's been... It, I haven't felt worried at all, and I've been able to keep a distance. And when I saw people dipping their masks down below the nose, I even saw people from the casino come and tap them on the shoulder and ask them to replace it. So okay. it, I, I felt they were doing the best they could, and I felt like it worked. Uh, now, the, the criticism over Governor Whitmer's handling of the casinos here has been interesting because it hasn't been the – although here in Michigan, obviously – hugely important swing state in the election coming up in less than a month. Uh, very you know, sort of the, a picture of the red blue divide uh, of America and, and the same kind of intense overheated nonsense politics often, but it hasn't with the casino issue. It wasn't uh, the 
more right-leaning business-centered part of the state yelling at the governor to open casinos because the, of course, because the tribal casinos are on sovereign land and, and were able to open on their own in May and June whenever they felt safe and capable. And the Detroit casinos opened before a lot of other businesses that had people wondering, well, how come a casino in Detroit gets to open and not my mom and pop movie theater up in you know or even the larger chain larger chain movie theaters or indoor dining or other things that you could point to a casino and say well you've got people gambling and playing slots and doing all kinds of dirty casino things and i can't go to a nice family dinner at the you know at the texas roadhouse uh and so i think in that sense it, i got i got the feeling that the casinos were used almost as a wedge as a way to lean on the governor to open more things and maybe accelerate that pace. And I think it, it was, for better or worse, a fairly successful effort on those parts of the state. And also now, just this last weekend, the Michigan Supreme Court struck down with the, the law that Governor Whitmer has been using to maintain her uh, emergency powers throughout the pandemic which means that in a couple of weeks, all bets may be off and we will have to see how things change. I don't expect in the casinos here in Detroit, which are in Wayne County, a, a very demo, the most democratic part of the state, they're going to stay the same. It's still going to feel the same in there. So far, what I've seen at the tribal casinos elsewhere in the state, I was looking at Gun Lake earlier today, which is uh, between Kalamazoo and Grand Rapids in western Michigan. They're, so far, they're saying they're keeping all of their safety precautions in place. I think the casinos, which have done fairly well, as I think we've seen across the country, uh, under the circumstances, under limited capacity and all those kind of restrictions, I think they don't want to rock the boat, but we will see. Right. And, and you're proving a, a quick study on how to be a gambling journalist by dropping phrases like all bets are off into casual conversation. Well done. Yeah. By the way, Rafe, I've been to 16 uh, casinos and racetracks in the last four months in the New York City area, and I'm, I'm still standing. So uh, <laughs> I have no fear. But, uh, but I want to get to uh, mobile sports betting. Um, uh, being in New Jersey, I hear from so many New Yorkers who are just uh, – baffled by why New York doesn't have mobile sports betting, even though they allow sports betting in upstate casinos, but not in the New York City area. The whole thing's kind of strange. But uh, Michigan, though, has passed mobile sports betting. So what's the status of it? You know, how soon are we going to get going? Is it going to have a lot of competition, which is generally good for consumers? You know, what, what can Michigan, Michiganders, I think, uh, expect from, uh, from mobile sports betting? And we can debut the term I've been using. It's a little bit cringy uh, here, but hey, why not? In some of my writings, Michigamblers uh, for, nice. for the, uh, the betting community here. Nice. But yeah, so in Michigan, past uh, sports betting and online gambling, online wagering across the board uh, late last year, December 2019. And that includes sports betting, poker, and casino gaming online. It has not... Um, launched that yet and at the time of passage last year the Michigan Gaming Control Board estimated it should take about a year they said late 2020 to early 2021 now then COVID hit and there was a lot of noise made about let's try and accelerate this because people can't at first people couldn't go to the commercial casinos which are hugely important to both state and city of Detroit revenues here and also if you could open up the entire state to casino gaming online and sports betting all of a sudden you're looking at 
revenue sources that probably state governments have never seen before here. So there was a, a lot of noise made about doing it. I don't know if they're going to get there. The, the, pro, the process right now is, uh, they say, on schedule to launch before the end of 2020. There have been estimates from uh, Richard Calm, the executive dire- director of the gaming board here, saying uh, late fall, November. Uh, Brent Iden, one of the state legislatures who's been really instrumental in the the push to legalize betting here also said uh, by Thanksgiving, it, it remains to be seen some of the uh, potential snags that could, that, that this process could hit. Well, just last week, and this will sound familiar to listeners on a national scale. We had a um, state representative uh, test positive for COVID and the Michigan state house because it is uh, well, Perhaps, I, I, maybe I shouldn't say because, but it seems because it is Republican controlled is the largest employer, they say, in the entire state that does not have a mask mandate um, because the, the rule, they've set the rules and they're not requiring masks. So the contact tracing efforts around that, they're expecting that to slow down some of the legislative review processes in the rulemaking that, that needs to be completed before the Michigan Gaming Control Board can start issuing licenses to the DraftKings of the world and the local tribal casinos and the, you know, and the Detroit commercial casinos as well. So now there is no, um, no one has said that is going to be a problem. No one has said that's knocking us off course, but between that and politicians also being probably a little bit uh, focused on the upcoming election in less than a month, some of those routine uh, legislative actions that they say might sail through, it might be hard to just get people into the room in order to to get it done, in order to do those routine votes. Uh, I hope that's not the case. No one has said that's the case, but uh, you put two and two together, that might be coming down the line. And the good news is whether Michigan launches online gambling before the end of 2020 or shortly thereafter, it will be open to a big number of players and, and, and uh, operators. And you'll already between March and now, and my bets has reported on more than a dozen partnerships between the tribal casinos and the Detroit casinos and all of the online, not all, but many, many, many of all of the big name online sports books, the DraftKings, the FanDuel's, Bet Rivers, Parks just opened its sports book at the, uh, at the Gun Lake Casino, uh, Bet America with Churchill Downs. There, there's more than a dozen. So there, w- once those get licensed and running, which may not be immediate, but it's, it's coming, uh, it will be a good market for, for major gamblers. <laughs> All right. And uh, so now a, a question for a transplanted uh, Michigander and perhaps Michigambler. Uh, I, I know you're not a native of Michigan and have no particular attachment to the Detroit teams, uh, but you've been following and writing about the Lions this season. They've stumbled to a one and three start as they come into their bye week, uh, but they do have two very winnable games against Jacksonville and Atlanta the next two weeks after that. So they could soon be three and three. What kind of odds would you need, Rafe, to consider putting a few bucks on the Lions to make the playoffs right now? And uh, d- does Detroit sports betting seem to be suffering from the fact that it launched with none of the local pro teams being contenders? Well, stumbled 
Eric, I don't know. One in three. The Lions had lost uh, eleven straight games going back to to last year, and hadn't and were winless for for exactly eleven months before they beat the Cardinals in Week Three of this NFL season. So. One in three doesn't sound that terrible. However, here in Detroit, listening to the local radio, uh, consuming the local Lions content, yeah, people are so pessimistic about the team. I got sucked in a little bit by the national media before the season thinking, hey, Matt Stafford, they might he's got a hell of an arm. Maybe they'll set him loose. This could be a great (laughs) year. They turn it around. Um, And then almost immediately (laughs) – um, the the Detroit reality kicked in. At this point, what would it take for me to bet on them to make the playoffs? Oh my goodness! Um, I <laughs> I can I can tell you the number that I saw, and you can tell me if it's if it sounds reasonable to you. Was plus four thirty to make the playoffs? Not high enough for you? Or, that or sounds you take a fair, shot? but I'm I'm not taking it. I look at that. <laughs> I, I know even with the expanded NFL playoff format. Um, and the, the Chicago Bears in the NFC North, like probably not going to, you know, be a, um, a team with a 750 win percentage. Right. Uh, but still, I, I'd almost and the, the Minnesota Vikings haven't looked great this season either. But I don't I, I just I feel like of all those teams, I don't try now, even in just four weeks, I don't trust the Detroit Lions <laughs> either um, regarding the question about whether the Detroit casinos have lost some sports betting handle because of the timing, because they did weren't able to open up until August when, uh, you know, the, the, I guess the N- the NBA restart was only a week old, but, but yeah, the, the Pistons weren't in it anyway. So who cares? Uh, and neither, neither were the, 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 the Red Wings in the NHL, but I would say that as long as football is around and the boost that it appears that the, books will get if you know Michigan and Michigan State football return later this month I I guess fingers crossed I don't know what the responsible way to to discuss (laughs) that is but I fingers crossed for them that it works out and they manage to get those games in and the Big Ten does return safely um I think football is really what matters. Um, sure, I think it make there was a little bit missed here and there and when I talked to sports book operator or you know sports book managers at some of the local casinos they've told me yeah you know when we opened when we opened back up we were getting crazy futures bets on you know on the lions when they were a long shot at the beginning of the semi they're still going to be a long shot but probably fewer people taking that bet now or you know the people t- wanting to bet more than 50 to 1 on the Detroit Tigers to win the you know to win the world series stuff like that all of those sorts of bets, they happened, and they probably would have happened if the Pistons or the Red Wings had managed to make it into their respective bubbles. But in the bigger picture, as long as football is happening, I think the, 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 the betting picture is all right. Right. Uh, Rafe, I want to talk about online poker. You know, way back in 2013, uh, New Jersey, parentheses, and Delaware, close parentheses, uh, launched online casino gaming of all sorts. Uh, Nevada was just ahead of them on online poker. Um, but the Nevada gambling culture is such that online poker is just a novelty, so it really never took off. But nonetheless, New Jersey has compacts with those uh, two states and adds a few dozen players a day, I think. Um, but what New Jersey has been looking for for years is a, a state bigger than them. You know, punch above their weight and then combine those and the, the, the feeling was in terms of uh, uh, having enough, enough liquidity, the player pool, 
is you just needed one more big, one big state. And Pennsylvania, we're talking about it for years. They finally legalized it, and then they did nothing. So poor New Jersey poker players have just been, you know, frothing at the mouth, waiting and waiting and waiting for something that I don't know when it's going to happen. But here comes Michigan, legalized online poker. So, uh, you know, is, uh, is Michigan the gal that New Jersey poker players should be bringing to the dance instead of waiting around for Pennsylvania? I, I believe eventually, yes. I think the, the more inter- the, the question might be, when exactly can we expect that? Of course, first the first thing that needs to happen is online betting period needs to be launched here in Michigan. And then after that, just well, just last week, the Michigan State Senate passed language, basically an edit to the existing uh, online gambling law that carved out space to make interstate online poker possible so that means and, and that's expected again expected to sail through the house expected to become to enter the law expected to all happen the law the, the language then places the responsibility on the michigan gaming board con, gaming control board to enter pacts with the other with other jurisdictions to to go ahead and 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 allow online poker so and, and that i've heard uh and you know i was actually talking with our colleague uh brian pempis uh who what you know covers uh, seems like every other state in in the middle of the united states for 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 you know u.s vets and and the entire network here um he was like well that, he was telling me don't get too excited because sometimes these packs can take a long time between states but look if if the states can get their acts together and just because and and whatever paperwork needs to be done and and allow it it will be legal so yes we will be the dance partner we do have 10 million potential poker players here um well maybe not quite 10 million or 21 (laughs) or over but still many many millions uh it will happen it may not happen as soon as the thirsty poker players of new jersey uh would wish because i know they've been waiting for a long time but we'll get there what what kind of world am I living in, though, when the New Jersey legislature is the, the good government one, the one that figures out what it wants, gets it done, and it launches, and everything's good to go? And all the other states can't figure anything out. I mean, you know, New Jersey, I guess, is like the, the worst legislature in the country except for all the others, the, the paraphrase Winston <laughs> Churchill. It's just an amazing time to be alive, I guess. I, I know, John. I was thinking the same thing, sort of listening, and because you know, over the m- months I've listened to you talk about some of the New Jersey regulators and New Jersey state legislators and some of the the unexpected hurdles that have come up through uh you know their dealings and so the idea that just because both states have legalized interstate uh online poker i don't know if that necessarily means the, the 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 state lawmakers on each side will will then take the next obvious step and just punch that through as easily as it seems it should but i hope so yeah weird as it uh, is to think about we all all three of us and many others beyond us uh, owed new jersey a debt of gratitude for uh the industry that we're working in right now so uh yeah go new jersey yeah i i, I spoke at an event in the meadowlands last year that was uh, uh really uh, very european centric i would say the 60 70 percent of the visitors were uh from europe and uh you know i told them at a, i spoke on a panel and i said none of you guys would be here if not for the people 
the voters of New Jersey who passed the referendum back in 2011. So, you know, your taxi driver, the valet, uh, the cafeteria worker, uh, somebody who's cleaning up the restroom, whatever it is, they're part of the group that's going to make all of you guys rich. So, uh, you know, when you look around, uh, you know, uh, tip your uh, waiters and bartenders, as they say. There you go. <laughs> all right. So b- uh, before we let you go, uh, Rafe, let's do some quick NBA finals betting talk with a noted basketball author and acclaimed big man in the legendary Grantland pickup games. Uh, I won't ask you about betting the series with the Lakers uh, leading three games to one. They're now like 80 to one favorites and the Heat are only paying about 20 to one as the underdog. But I'm wondering, do you see value in the Heat as a plus 250 money line dog in game five? Um, or do you have a feeling one way or the other about the spread, which is currently set at seven or, or maybe a player prop. Uh, I, I made a little money on Jimmy Butler under 24 and a half points in game four. I thought his total got a little too high from the 40 point outburst in game three. Anyone you'd tap for a, a, a big game or a, or a bad game on Friday. I'm torn here between my sort of lifelong basketball follower fan fairly poor player, just someone who has been engaged with the sport for, for more than almost anything else I've done. And that side of me looks at the way the, the Lakers are up 3-1, the way they've played, and just the way that you, you let older, guy, older NBA players sniff a championship. You get them within one game, and all of a sudden – they, they, they come out and play their asses off to, to, to send that thing home. I mean, you look at Gary Payton playing for the Heat in 2006. In, in those, I just, it, you see it happen so much. Guys who, you know, are long in the tooth or are role players but have been around for a long time. I, and we've seen it happen already with the Lakers with, with Contavious Caldwell-Pope's game in the game four. And uh, Rajon Rondo at the beginning of the season. Guys like that, I, I just had this deep inside me – belief that they are going to perform extremely well in game five and that makes me think that uh, it's not worth that 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 plus 250 but still oh like if you were just a numbers man if you if you want to run through the yeah if you want to run run the quants on this I think that there's probably value in plus 250 because Miami uh, one thing about them is they aren't they, they don't they're sort of built around the hard-assed Eric Spolstra, Pat Riley way of life of we're just going to go out and compete every time. And, and they managed to get the guys to buy in and play like that. I, I don't think they're going to roll over in this game. Um, the one thing that I would look at, and I, I meant to get, I, I meant to get to it just before, if you're already looking at the odds and you could pull it up, go ahead. Um, but the LeBron MVP finals MVP player prop. I'm sure the odds are not great on that, but it feels to me almost as guaranteed at this point for various reasons uh, as say Floyd Mayweather over Conor McGregor (laughs) once upon a time, like that is free money. If you have, uh, if you're sitting on a pile of money and want to add to it uh, with a not exciting big favorite bet, I feel like that that's just a shoe in at this point because uh, LeBron and Anthony Davis have played essentially just as equally throughout this series and and maybe throughout the playoffs and so the idea that Davis might overtake LeBron might uh create some narrative that that sort of convinces the voters to go with him over the the main guy on the team I don't think he's done quite enough it was possible but it hasn't happened so I I I, in that one if 
if you have, if you're sitting on a big, big, big wad of cash, uh, <laughs> you're not risking it much of it to bet it on that. Yeah, I, and I actually had looked that up uh, before the show because I was curious about that myself. So while the Lake the Lakers are somewhere around. 80 to one guaranteed to win the series at this point. You have to lay a lot. LeBron, you have to lay about seven to one on him. So uh, it's, yeah, it's sort of like you said, if you, if you have, you know, 700 bucks sitting around to just to win a hundred and you feel that confident, I guess what, what would it take either the heat storming back to win the next three, which seems extremely unlikely or Anthony Davis puts up like 50 and 20 in game five or something and to, to make you think about it. Yeah, I, I, it would be something like that. Or, but I feel like even if LeBron had zero points in Game Five and the Lakers won, right. he probably still gets that. I, especially, I mean, now I'm going to put on my NBA tinfoil hat here, and the things that LeBron has done throughout the bubble to keep this bubble intact, to keep mm-hmm. the league going, his buy-in, right? We know helped uh, convince players to, to buy in and, and, and try this in the first place. It also helped when, you know, the Milwaukee Bucks started the, the, the sort of wildcat strike uh, in the wake of Jacob Blake's shooting. And the, there was some talk of maybe just all the players walking away and stopping at that time. LeBron brought it back, uh, regardless of how you feel about that across the board. And I, the league may, may – when they go around uh, handing out their – their 11 votes for NBA finals MVP to the important media on site. They might choose the guys who they know uh, are more likely to, to bring LeBron that trophy. Yeah, I could just add uh, how much the media loves the, the story, the narrative, and LeBron is all the narrative completely. I had a vote in the late 90s, the year that uh, there was a groundswell for Carl Malone should finally win the MVP. And honestly, part of it, he sort of deserved one in his career, sort of. And the other was, uh, you know, people learn from the last dance. Uh, uh, he was, Jordan was uh, kind of annoying, I'm not going to lie. So <laughs> you, if you had any opportunity to vote against him, you were tempted. But uh, I had a vote that year. I looked at it. Who's the most valuable player? The answer is Michael Jordan. Again, I'm tired of it too. But it kind of worked out because I voted for Jordan. I held my nose. I voted for Jordan. That's who I should have voted for. And then Malone won. So it was the best of both worlds. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> wow. I, di- I didn't realize you were a part of that historic vote that uh, some people still complain about. But it's not your fault. Uh, the, 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 the call well, there's there's one, though. That I remember uh, Kim Olajuwon and David Robinson uh, wound up 23 to 22 in the defensive player of the year voting. And I voted for the wrong guy. I forget which one. But they played each other in the playoffs. And the... Uh, uh, the loser of the award crushed the the winner. Oh, and I picked the I picked the wrong horse in that one. Yeah, uh, well, that was Elijah Wan in what ninety five over. Yeah, just just David Robinson. Yeah, yeah it, was, right. it was rough. <laughs> All right, good good little uh, NBA talk uh, diversion there. Um, but uh, Rafe, uh, you made it through your gamble on maiden voyage, the first of many appearances, hopefully. So uh, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you both very much. Two men. Two men. $10,000. Will they run it up or blow it all? It's time to check in on the Gamble On bankroll. We'll get to the Fast Five shortly, but first, let's update our shared bankroll, and it's a relatively quick update. No results on futures bets, just three results from last week to report. John split his two bets, so we just lost $10 on the VIG. He won $100 on the Lakers, covering the eight-point spread in Game 2. Caught that spread at the right time before it went up. 
and he lost $110 on Virginia Tech, favored by 10.5 against Duke. The Hokies won, but only by 7 points. Uh, Meanwhile, I had a three-team 10-point tease. I got the Chargers up to plus 17, which won comfortably, the Ravens down to minus 3, which won comfortably, and the Rams down to minus 2.5 against the Giants, which was a bit of a sweat, but L.A. pulled it out. So we risked $157 and $100 there. That means we won $90 on the week. We're up by $110 now, and we have $705 on hold in futures bets. So that leaves us with $9,405 available to bet with. And you're up first, John. Well, I'll go back to college football where I had that miracle 27-point win on minus <laughs> right. 26 first charges with a backdoor field goal two weeks ago. And then last week I lost uh, to minus 10.5 on a 10-point win by Virginia Tech. Wait until Duke kicked a meaningless field goal, or was it, on the final play of that game to make some boosters happy. But I was a loser anyway, so it didn't bother me. <laughs> um, anyway, in that spirit, I, I like uh, Florida minus 6.5 at Texas A&M, 110 to win 100. Uh, Gators quarterback Kyle Trask is a real deal, but I, somehow there's still a few doubters out there uh double digit win i think for the gators all right uh so i wrote an article for u.s bets on wednesday spotlighting the nfl mvp race and my conclusion was that it's almost certain to be one of the top three candidates right now the chances of russell wilson patrick mahomes and aaron Rodgers all falling off badly or getting injured are just not strong enough to make one of the longer shots viable so I'm looking at those three. Uh, Wilson is the favorite right now. Best price is plus 200. Mahomes' best price is plus 350. And some books have Rodgers shorter than Mahomes, but one that doesn't is Foxbet, which has Rodgers all the way up at plus 550. I think that's phenomenal value, the best value on the board. His stats are better than Mahomes' so far, and just a tick worse than Wilson's. He's doing it with his best receiver out the last couple of weeks. And he has a great narrative as a 37-year-old living legend having a resurgence and maybe his best season yet. Green Bay plays in an otherwise weak division. They're 4-0 now. They have a great shot at finishing the regular season with the best record. And if that happens, Aaron Rodgers is almost certainly the MVP. It's still an underdog bet at plus 550 odds. You know, it's more likely to lose than to win. So I don't want to risk too much. Let's go $40 to win 220 on this. Well, you almost have me tempted to say uh, I'm matching that, but I, I won't do that. But it's <laughs> okay. tempting. You, you're very persuasive. Um, I'll go on the PGA Tour bandwagon again. It's the first of back-to-back Las Vegas events, actually. Uh, this is the lesser one, but it has U.S. Open Bryson DeChambeau and friends in it, so uh, it's it's a good enough field. Uh, Shriners Hospital uh, event is called uh, Field 144. So I'm like a, I'm like a greedy here um, when I can get my man Colin Morikawa at even money 100. Uh, to win 100, to place in the top 20 in a very top-heavy field, really. Uh, You go 10 or 12 deep, and and it's impressive, and then a lot of no-names. So uh, let's just rebuild the bankroll first before I get too frisky. Okay, I like it. And Colin Morikawa is not just uh, your man. He's my man, too. He won me some money this summer on whatever that tournament was that he won that I've already forgotten. (laughs) PGA, I hope. (laughs) All right. uh, So for our fourth bet here this week, I can't remember if I've ever done a cross-sport parlay on the pod, uh, but here goes with one. There's a good boxing match this Friday on ESPN, Emmanuel Navarrete versus Ruben Villa. It's competitive, but I make Navarrete a clear favorite, and I was surprised to find him as low as minus 225. I would have thought he'd be at least minus 300. So I want to bet that but I want to make it even less expensive. So uh, Rafe was talking with us about LeBron as a near lock for NBA Finals MVP. I agree Mm -hmm. with that take. 
but I suspect, uh, John, you might not be crazy about me risking $800 of our bankroll, almost 10% of the roll, to win 100 bucks. Uh, so instead, I'm thinking I'll work it into a parlay. Uh, I know I, I told Rafe uh, that LeBron, I'd seen him as low as minus 700, but uh, I'm not seeing that now, at least not at any of the sites that have never Navarrete priced well. The best I can find now is minus 800 at one of those sites. So we'll go with that, combine it in a parlay. It comes out to minus 161. So instead of risking $225 on Navarrete to win 100, we only have to risk $161 to win 100 as long as LeBron does win MVP of the finals. Sounds good. All right. We wrap things up with the Fast Five, even though it would probably be in the best interest of my professional reputation if we skip this segment (laughs) for the rest of the season. Uh, John and I split our two head-to-heads last week. I won with Bengals over Jags. John won with Colts over Bears. And I went 0-3 outside those picks for a lousy 1-4 week, while John's results were almost as bad as mine. He got a push on his Buccaneers pick to go 1-3-1. and So through four weeks, John is just above 500 at 10-9-1, while I am slipping significantly behind at 7-13. And, and we have the minefield of potential COVID postponements to worry about this week, but we'll soldier on with our picks and maybe risk some voided selections. Uh, and I'm up first. It's time to try something a little different. When you're seven and thirteen, you got to consider changing your approach. So I decided uh-huh. this week to look for games where, according to the FootballOutsiders.com total DVOA stat, which I've long found useful, games where there's an advantage to be had. So here are five games where the DVOA suggests the odds are off, and and I find myself agreeing to some degree. And we start with tonight's game, uh, Tampa Bay is number one in DVOA. Somewhat surprising to see that, but they are, and the Bears are way down at number 22. Chicago let me down last week, which is my fault for picking them, uh, but now I'll get my revenge on them by picking against them. I assume Brady is motivated to beat Nick Foles, the quarterback who, of course, proved his clear superiority over Brady in Super Bowl 52. Uh, the Bucks are favored by three and a half on the road. I'll take him to cover, and I'll hope that Mike Evans plays. He's questionable as of Thursday morning, so fingers crossed there, but I'll take the Bucks. Next up, the Panthers are a one-and-a-half-point underdog at Atlanta, but they're the better team, according to Football Outsiders, and according to my eyes, DVOA has them number 19 and the Falcons number 27. Atlanta hasn't fired Dan Quinn yet, so I don't see them turning this around. Uh, Mike Davis is filling in just fine for McCaffrey. Teddy Bridgewater is too solid for the Panthers to be the tank team some thought they would be. Give me Carolina plus one and a half. Now, I just noted that Atlanta won't reverse its fortunes without firing its coach, but I'm also about to bet that the Texans won't reverse their fortunes immediately after they did fire their coach. The Jaguars are getting six points in Houston. DVOA says the Jags are the better team, number 15 versus number 21. Six points is also enough for a backdoor cover to bail me out if needed, so I'm taking Jacksonville plus six. Uh, Next up, It's emotional hedge time. Uh, The numbers and all logic say my Eagles should not be able to stay within seven points of the Steelers in Pittsburgh. The Steelers are number seven in DVOA. The Eagles are all the way down at number 30. The Steelers are extremely well rested. The Eagles are terribly banged up. It's possible they'll get Deshaun Jackson or Alshon Jeffrey back, but Jeffrey is washed anyway, and Jackson can't get through a game without re-injuring something. You know, it's one thing for Carson Wentz to find a way against a San Francisco team that is just as injury-plagued as the Eagles. I doubt he'll do it against the Steelers. Give me Pittsburgh minus seven, and I win either way, uh, unless the Steelers win by one to six points. Then I, then I lose both ways. Um, lastly, I 
don't feel great in my gut about this game, but the numbers say the Colts, number four in DVOA, should be more than a one and a half point favorite against the Browns, who are number 12 in DVOA. I'm a little worried the Browns are finding themselves, but then again, their three game winning streak is against Cincy, Washington, and Dallas. Phillip Rivers is going to have a crap the bed game soon, I think. I'm hoping this isn't it. I'll take Indy minus one and a half. Okay, so we've got uh, one match and one head-to-head here, okay. as it turns out. Um, my first pick is, well, my first pick was going to be the Buccaneers, but um, road team on a Thursday I don't like, although uh, the coaching edge tempted me anyway. Uh, but the, there's too many injuries on the Buccaneer uh, injury list there. That's why I stayed away. So okay. instead, I did go Steelers also with you, minus seven versus the Eagles. Um, yeah, I give props to the Eagles for rallying past that 49ers practice squad to claim the lead in the NFC least. But, um, you know, they're still banged up. And Mike Tomlin got an unexpected buy, more time to prepare for this game. So uh, I, I think you can be confident in that one. Um, also, Bengals plus 13 versus the Ravens. Uh, the Bengals of Joe Burrow, they've got spunk and I hate spunk in the sense that I have a future bet on the Bengals under five and a half wins on our on our on our board, but um, they're not terrible. Uh, they can cover this number even if it takes a backdoor turn, which it could it could do. Um, then I have Texans minus six versus Jaguars, uh, uh, opposite of your your point there. Uh, dead cat bounce play on the Texans really. You know their players are relieved of their annoying head coach and their awful GM in the same body. That's a that's a sweet exacta there. Um, Jaguars also again are more banged up if you look at the injury list. And I fear bad teams until they get a win. Uh, they're they're going to be hungry. They can't go 0 and 16. Uh, and the Texans aren't even that bad, so they get off the schneid here. I think pretty handily. Uh, then I've got Vikings plus seven against the Seahawks. Uh, upon further review uh, that I thought early in the year, the Vikings are not that bad looking at the schedule and their results. The first three opponents all have only lost a combined one game. Um, they've hung with more good teams than the Seahawks have played so far. So I'll risk another push there at plus seven. And finally, the uh, Dolphins really surprised here, getting eight and a half against the 49ers. Um, uh, very surprised there, like I say. Uh, 49ers are good when healthy, but the 49ers are like the 25 percenters and they couldn't handle the 60 percent Eagles last week. So the Dolphins keep things competitive every week and they'll do so again here. So a few comments on some of those uh, picks. Uh, the Yeah, I, I thought about Miami and I'm just like not sure if Garoppolo is going to play and decided to stay away from it. If he doesn't play, you're getting a great number there. Um, DVOA agrees with you on Minnesota. And I thought about making that pick. Uh, it suggests that they're not that far behind Seattle. Um, but uh, we do have to uh, address one uh, situation here is you said Cincinnati plus 13. The uh, Super Contest has them plus 12 and a half. I just okay. want to make sure you're still going to take them uh, giving up a, a half point that you thought you had there. Yeah, that'll be a memorable beat when we talk about the game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would be something if you could have had a push and instead you lose. But uh, okay, right. so the Cincinnati plus 12 and a half is officially one of your picks. Sure. All right, that will do it for this episode of Gamble On. Thanks to everybody out there for listening. And thanks again to our guest, Rafe Bartholomew. You can find me on Twitter at Eric Raskin and John at Bergen Brennan and follow US Bets at US underscore bets. Go to usbets.com for all the latest news and analysis from the world of gambling and subscribe to this podcast on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And with that, John, please take us out. Yeah, well, this week, I really want to urge all of you to catch up with a new HBO documentary called Wild Card, The Downfall of a Radio Loudmouth. Uh, it premiered last night, uh, Wednesday night, that is. Uh, the tale of a disgraced WFN sports talk radio host, Craig Carton. I want to urge you because it would really bring home the gritty details of what compulsive gambling does to ruin people's lives. Um, I want to do all that, but, but I can't. 
uh, after watching it. Uh, it. It's way too much of a love letter to Carton. Uh, he even gets in a comparison of himself competitively at blackjack to Tiger Woods at golf and Michael Jordan in basketball. I mean, come on. I, I can't take it. Uh, Carton fans and Carton haters will get something out of it for sure. Uh, but this show won't resonate as much for those who hope that the program would serve as the perfect cautionary tale uh, against compulsive gambling. Um, I understand, you know, he says right away, I'll answer any question except about my family. They're off limits. I, I understand they had nothing to do with the uh, uh, Ponzi scheme that led them in jail for over a year. Um, but at the same time, you don't get the full sense of what his foolishness uh, and his crimes, frankly, did to him. And he gets in a lot of uh, excuses and, and uh, uh, he just got way too much rain from the producer and director who I think got too, uh, uh, too close to the subject, as they say. So, uh, and with that, I'll tell everybody to gamble on and do so responsibly as always.